Welcome to the Industry Playbook, a newcomer's guide to the music industry. We discuss contracts, getting paid, and getting heard. So sit back, listen, and take notes. All right, everyone, welcome to the business of music, uh, hosted by myself, Dignified, aka Mr. Schmooze. And with me today is Akiemi Anyulua. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on board, Chief. So can you tell the people um, who you are, what you do, and why you're here with us today? Yes, uh, my name is Akiemi Anyulua. I live and work in Lagos, Nigeria. I'm a lawyer since I was called to bar, since I qualified as a lawyer. I've been working in the music business 11 years, yeah. working in the music space. Yeah. It's been a jolly ride. Presently, I'm the managing partner at a very music-focused entertainment law practice yeah. in Lagos, Nigeria. The name of the law firm is Hightower Solicitors and Advocates. I'm the managing partner there. I also am a commentator. I blog actively on my areas of interest, like uh, music, film, creative industry, how the law applies generally. A lot of people know me more for what I do with music because I also started as a musician myself. So I live like... Interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, but I always try to remind people I got in the game because I wanted to be like Two-Face DBA. I wanted to be like Kelly. The dead R. Kelly. No, not the R. Kelly of today. The R. Kelly of today. The Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like Jaru as well. Those were like my biggest influences growing up as a youngster. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy that I'm still able to work in that space in the music business. And uh, when you mentioned the idea that I should get on your podcast, um, and I can talk music for hours on, on end, like go on and on about it. So I'm really, really excited to be here. Great. And uh, we're glad to have you on board as well. I think... Uh, even though you gave a very humble <laughs> introduction or description about yourself, what you didn't mention is, you know, you do represent some of the biggest uh, names in the business today. Exactly. Know, from a legal perspective, and uh, which is why we've, it makes sense to have you join me for this conversation today. Without wasting time, the Business of Music podcast is, you know, a podcast, a very limited series podcast where we discuss the legal side or the contractual sides of the music business today is episode one and today's topic is getting signed so we'll be talking about why would anyone consider signing a record deal um what does a record deal entail what does it cover um, what are the questions you should be asking when you want to sign a record deal and then we also talk about the types of contracts that exist in business today and then we would also be talking about um you know some case studies popular references that we can relate to and also used to sort of drive on the point as well, drive on the point that we've said so yeah, yeah sure. without wasting further time um let's just go right into it um getting signed you know every artist every recording artist today wants to either get signed to a major label or you know maybe get signed to their own labels and we've had lots of horror stories of especially with the popular narrative today record labels are seen as the best in the Shylock said, yeah, I just tried to cash in on exactly. the unsuspecting artist. They want to make money of this artist and just, you know, discard the artist. So yeah. I'll just ask you now, why would anyone consider signing to a label today? Yeah, I think like in anything in life, uh, no one man can do everything. No one man can build anything 
really, really grand and large and impactful. Along the line, even as a lawyer myself, so many people had to invest in me before I arrived as a lawyer who qualified to practice in Nigeria. Some people had to come up with the school fees. Teachers had to come on board to teach me. I had to get books. Some people had to provide time to teach me, um, to mentor me along the way. The same thing with people who have talents and who would like to be recognized and who would like to make money of their talents. Usually, many resources have to come together to birth the career that they crave for. And that is why people aspire to have record labels come around to support them. Because usually, the record labels have the infrastructure, like a processing plant, from a raw material, they're able to work on you to your the finished product. Yeah. So that's like from moving from crude oil, drilling for crude oil. Yeah. Drilling for crude oil, which means they prospect for talents, and then they find the talent. Usually when they find the talent, you can't even recognize them. Then they have to polish them up, take them through different stages of talent development before they get to the marketplace where even the odds of them making it to the marketplace is very slim. Yeah. So I don't know if you've watched any of the Motown videos on YouTube, you know? Yeah. The way Berigodi does it, you know, he finds somebody who is working at a factory as a mechanic, then if he is able to tell that, oh, you'll be a big star, I never in your wildest dream would you have thought that you could be a big star, but he's able to take you from the crudest form in which you work in, yeah. and is able to make you into a superstar. So same thing, that is why we need record labels because they have the infrastructure, they have the people, then they have the funding, then they have the expertise. Yeah. So the infrastructure is they have many, many departments in the label, you know. Yes, this is where the ANR comes in. Exactly. Yeah. They're able to get you maybe coaches, those who will teach you how to sing better, write songs better how to perform better, how to record music better. Also, those who are able to work on your image, your poise, your courage, how you respond to media scrutiny. Also, yeah. people that will teach you how to perform on stage. So those are the type of infrastructure that you might not find outside of the label. Yeah. Also, they are able to tell you how the market is. When they see the talents you possess, they are able to point out to how best we can exploit it in the marketplace. That's the reason why most of the time people want to have a label coming. But again, like you know, the world is, is moving fast. The world is changing and we are reacting to the changes. It is no longer the case that you have to wait until you have a record label before you move. Yeah, that is correct. So technology has also impacted the business. I believe we'll touch on that as we move on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting that because, you know, like you said, there are certain things that label can provide or make easier, yeah. you know, than that an independent artist who struggles to do on their own. It's not impossible, yeah. but these are things that sometimes it costs too much money for them to do their own training or do their own marketing budget yeah. or even shoot music videos. Yes. Like yes. That. All right. Yes. So now that we've established why anyone would consider signing to a record label today, I'm assuming myself to be an up-and-coming artist, you know, and I've just been offered a record deal from, you know, XYZ Records. Okay. What are the things I should be looking out for in that contract? 
what are the elements I should be paying attention to in that contract? Yeah, yeah. well, first things first, you should have faith that the people you are going into business with have your best interest at heart. Like, they are not wet around the ears and they don't know the market or they don't know the business at all. And you're not just going to end up as the guinea pig. So my question is always, who are these guys who want to sign you? That's what I tell, you know, a lot of the talents in Nigeria that, okay, these guys, how did you meet them? Do you think they know what they're doing? Then the follow-up question would be, will they give you the necessary support that you need? You need support in terms of the funding. You need support in terms of the attention. It's very, very easy to start a relationship in the music business. But the consistency or the longevity is another question entirely. The thing is, immediately I get signed, will I get the funding? Will I get the support? Will I get somebody thinking about moving my career forward around the clock? Because getting signed is just one of the many variables. As well, we understand that the talent also has to work around the clock. But more importantly, you need experts who would not be, you know, doing try and error with your career or with your time. So, people that know exactly. After we establish those questions, after we establish those two positions, like, do they know what they are doing? And then will they give you the necessary support? The next question would be, how long will the term be for? How, how long am I going to be in bed with these people? So, first, number one is the term of the company. Exactly. So, you, you have to be clear. How long are we going to be together? Sometimes people try to encapsulate the timing with a long number of years, maybe three, four, five, six, seven. So people just like it to be a flat out number of years. While some people would say they would peg the term, the duration of the contract on how many albums or if you are able to deliver. So those are the two ways of determining um, the term of a contract. One is we could settle for five straight years, or we could say we need five albums. So we could call for the albums. Uh, maybe every time we call for an album, you are expected to deliver within six months, within nine months, within... As of now, it is usually within six to nine months. And whenever you turn in the contract, the label will be given a number of months, maybe 12 months or 15 months, to exploit that album ensure that you're also able to tour to maximize the economic benefits of that album. So now you're talking about the release commitment. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, so that's number two. Also, you'll be looking at, usually anybody signing you would want to mark territory where they're able to license the copyrights, where they're able to exploit your image and the likes. A lot of the labels that I've worked with, they will go for worldwide. Yeah. Also, they want exclusivity. In addition to that, for the exclusivity, of course, there will be benefits on the two sides. Everybody wants to have some measure of satisfaction that, okay, I'm investing maybe a million dollars or $250,000. At the end of the day, this is how much I'm earning from the royalties that will come in. After we sell these records, after we stream these records, how do we split the net earnings? So there has to be some kind of agreement to that. And that would also be a function of what, of the nature of contracts. 
the nature of recording contract is signed would also determine how the royalties are split. It will also be a function of where you are, what level are you in your career? Are you a big artist? Are you just an emerging artist? Or are you just an entirely fresh artist? So those are functions of many, many variables which I've already mentioned. Yeah. Furthermore, a lot of Nigerian labels don't want to commit to this is how much I would spend. Investing. Yes. A lot of them are very shy to say, okay, this is your budget. In a year, we'll shoot four videos, we'll shoot five videos, we'll promote five records. You know, many people are very, very... Because, you know, the Nigerian music space is still growing and a lot of the time, um, you don't want to be caught promising many things that you might not be able to deliver on. So many times when I'm on the side of the artist and I'm asking for commitments, I don't get it. But usually we always ask that how much will be earmarked for this project? Yeah. So is this a should have? Or should, let me put it this way. Is it nice to have or is it must have when you're in I think it's, we have to factor in the peculiarity of the Nigerian market there. Um, the way a lot of our liberal owners think, it is nice to have, but many times people would not commit to that. Mm. So but by all means, if you can get it, maybe you, you've already built an audience and it is an audience that will definitely pay you on the long term. You can insist on that. But a fresh artist, I don't think you have much leverage to make that kind of demands. So also, a very very key aspect of signing a record deal is who owns the copyrights in the compositions and in the recordings. If I'm on the side of the label, I do my best to ensure that we own a piece of the composition and we own the master recording 100%. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you know why I'm laughing now because on social media, the trend exactly is, people are like the artist should own their masters. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's not possible. Well, I think anything is possible with negotiating these terms because it's a function of leverage, it's a function of yeah, the risk involved, the benefits that would accrue, and where we are on the side of you know who has more leverage. If the leader has more leverage, yeah. definitely you will dance to their tune. If the artist is already yeah. with a big fan base and is telling you, oh, I already have millions of people paying attention to my craft and you wouldn't have to spend too much on marketing me and, um, you know, I can, I'm already making money. So I can also walk out of this room if, you, if you're not ready to talk business. So yeah. I think the question of ownership, because the world is changing and technology is now the leveler. Anybody can do numbers on yeah. Spotify, YouTube, even before the majors come in, even before the big labels come in, even before independent labels come in. Some artists are already doing great. So they can even say that they would not give their composition, they would not give their masters, that they will retain ownership interest 100%. Some might be able to, you know, maybe co-own some of these things which means they'll own the composition together and they'll own the masters together. So it's neither here nor there. It's, it's a function of what you demand. So also, apart from ownership, then the next question is also that um, the level of control. Who's going to be having the final say on the creative direction? A lot of artists, depending on the leverage that they have, 
some of them might want to have the financing, but it is usually the case that the record labels have the financing because most of the time they are the bigger man in the transaction. They have more weight, and also it is their money that is <laughs> impacting. I don't know what Bonaboy signed, but you and I know that Atlantic Records came into the picture. His career took. They put a lot of budgets. Yeah, there's a big exactly. budget behind Exactly. So his career kind of mm. got the much on to be amplified, to be on a bigger stage. Now he's on Jimmy Fallon, he's on all manner of American shows. Breakfast. Exactly. Club, yeah. Rapper. So that, that can only be a function of some people, you know, putting the right budget, Walking doing the right peer. Exactly. The right calls. So control is something. So Bonaboy can say, okay. Um, I would seek control. You would be the A&R to the album. You would be the ones to pick the records. And control is very key because sometimes a lot of talents want to just go to the marketplace with their records. They don't want to subject their decision-making to a higher authority. Now, with control, if your labor has the control and the final say, they will be the ones to pick the art direction, they will pick the final records, they will dictate what kind of video directors should shoot your videos. Sometimes they will pick songwriters and music producers for you and the likes. So outside of ownership control is also a very key component that should be discussed. Also advance. A lot, a lot of the time when an upcoming artist or when an emerging artist wants to partner with a label or a record company, they are interested in knowing what the figures are. If you want to partner with me, how much money are you putting up front? Although we know it will be recoupable most of the time, but you want to be sure that this is how much I'm getting. As soon as I put pen to paper, how much am I getting? So you want to be in a position to take different types of offers. Maybe Universal is trying to sign me. Sony Music is trying to sign me. Wana is trying to sign me, Atlantic, you know, all those big companies are trying to sign me. How much am I getting in advance? The advance will cater to maybe my in-pocket money, also the money that will go to my development, to my projects, to the marketing of my projects. Those are very, very important questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I can interrupt you there, some artists, we've had scenarios where some artists say they've fallen into the trap of collecting this big yeah. advance and then at the end of the day it's a big deduction or they're getting a smaller percentage of a royalty or oh, i do know of cases where it's common business right the labels trade off where if you get a big advance then maybe you're getting a slightly lower percentage of the copyrights royalties or if you're getting a bigger percentage of copyright royalties you're getting a smaller advance things like that so what's your yeah i think i think you've, you've said it Scenario. Apart from the fact that it is a negotiation where you are able to make demands limitlessly, you can make any demand. If you if you are the end thing, if you are the guy killing the charts, or if you're doing very well, mm. you can make any demands. And if it is acceptable to the other party, they take it. If it is not acceptable, they take a walk. So again, the thing is, yeah, many times when you get a very big advance. The royalty shares might not be as juicy. So, like, if I'm going toe to toe, if I want 50 50 with one of these major companies, instead of getting a million dollar advance, 
I can say, okay, give me $200,000 in advance so that yeah. I'm able to get 50-50 from the intakes, from the inflows, from the streaming royalties, from the downloads, from the sales from downloads, I'm getting 50-50. As opposed to if I'm getting a million dollar advance, and maybe I'm just shooting to 19% royalties on the inflows. Mind you, some of these contracts, you have to pay back the advance from your share of the royalties. If I'm getting $200,000 in advance, you'll pay back this advance usually from your share of the royalties. So if it is 50-50, when the royalties start streaming in, 50% is going to the other party, the record company. The other 50% will be directed towards paying back the advance. So if I'm getting 50%, from the royalties, it will be very, very quick to just pay back the advance that was made available for my project or for my pocket. So I'm able to start earning on time. As against, if I got a million dollars and I'm paying back the advance with 19, 20% of the royalties. You understand me? Yeah, that makes So the choice is yours to make. And some people are that powerful where they can also make demands they want a million dollars in advance and they still want 50-50. So there's neither here nor there. Yeah, I believe you are able to ask for anything you think you deserve. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to the leverage of what you have at that point. Here. Exactly. So apart from advance, another important point that I forgot, which should come immediately after ownership, is the reversion of rights. So which means if the label is to own the copyright for a number of years after you know the duration of those number of years the, the ownership and the copyright will go back to the talent is this standard law or is this something that it's something you have to negotiate something okay. you have to agree to there's something that must be black and white you know at inception the copyright belongs to the record company but maybe after 20 years after 15 or 10 years the ownership will go back to the to the artist is this um, a versionary clause. That's a clause in ownership that after a number of years, let it go back. So I think those are the important clauses. Um, I don't know, you should, you should know some as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just a school of the students of the... Yeah. So I was going to say, um, I think another point that probably mentioned later is the frequency of accounting and auditing. Yes. Uh, you know, We've had cases where some artists would say, I wasn't paid my fair royalty rate. You know, the labels accounting is a bit, you know, they don't open the books. So are labels mandated to open their books to the artists? And how does that work? Well, when you're dealing with people's intellectual property, the system should not be opaque. It should be as transparent as possible, which is um, everybody should know what is coming in and everybody should know what is due to them. Sadly, very few Nigerian companies are very adept with, you know, keeping records, tracking the income and making sure that um, the artist is carried along. So with every payment that comes in or even with every expense, it should be detailed enough. So I tell all my clients, you know, many times when you start the relationship, it is always rosy. Everybody is... You know, in everybody's brother. Exactly. My sister. My exactly. Brother. But when you start spending that money, when you start spending 20 million naira, 30 million naira, and the income is yet to 
streaming and the artist is feeling like oh the label is not doing enough yeah it behoves on you to be able to itemize all the expense this is how much you paid for this video this is how much you spent promoting the video this is how much you spent on your wardrobe this is how much you spent flying you to a different country to go and meet with a record producer this is how much you spent getting you into the room with a songwriter all manner of expense that would go into trying to make you into a finished article it's itemized yeah because the artist i could to forget if i could just interrupt you there so i as an artist can i while negotiating my contract can i say okay every six months or every quarter i want a report of expenses on my career so far is that something i can request for well it seems a little bit off to be asking for that Police. to be asking for oh i want to track expense usually a standard contract would have an accounting and audit clause that takes care of when the money start coming in i want to be getting royalty statements i want to be getting a breakdown of the inflow of monies mm coming to the company mm-hmm. directly connected to the exploitation of my craft. Those are the things you can maybe through the auditing and accounting clause, it takes care of that. But my suggestion with yeah. tracking expense is just having the company err on the side of caution so that they're able to keep the artists in a place where they don't just feel that oh we are not doing what we should be doing we're not been spending money and um we don't care about your career that's why i suggested that the labels should from time to time send a breakdown of statements of expense while they're giving the statement of expense you should also be keeping record of statements of income of monies coming in so i think it should be on the two sides um expenditure income keeping record of all of that so usually a standard contract would give the artist the opportunity to audit the accounts of the record company. It would also provide for the label giving statements every six months or every three months of yeah. income. Royalty statements, how much did you get from Spotify, from Apple, uh, from this show we did in Botswana, from that show we did in Paris, yeah. the show we did in London. So I believe that clause takes care of that. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So finally, I know some clauses, um, some contracts sort of specify how a contract can be terminated because maybe uh, some these things happen um, for some reason. The artist wants to end the contract or the record de- uh, deal, or maybe the label wants to drop the artist. You know, can a termination clause or a means of termination be specified, or must should it be specified? Yeah, I think it goes without question. Like. Any record contract without a termination clause, it will subject the talent to a lot of abuse. So you can just be there and you're stuck and there's no motion and you're going away. And there are many, many contracts yeah. without adequate provision for terminating the relationship. I've seen many contracts where there's just that continued rollover, rollover, then the talent is at the mercy of the level. So the contract should have provisions that stipulate how you can disengage. And there are examples. Many times, the label goes bankrupt. There is no money. Although there wouldn't be any official declaration of bankruptcy, 
but you can tell that nothing is going on. The operations are shut down. But because <laughs> the big boss at the level is unable to own up to his uh, failure yeah. or to his uh, impoverished states, the artist is just in limbo. For an artist, depending on your leverage, you should be able to state that if nothing is going on with my career for so so number of months, I'll take a walk. Yeah. Or a relationship can be terminated for a reason of the breach of the vital part of the contract. Maybe there are certain representations that are very germane, that are very significant. Anytime there is a breach yeah. or there's any kind of mischief on the part of any of the parties, then maybe you'll send a notice of termination for 60 days, for 30 days. And if the other party is unable to remedy the breach, then you take a walk. So I think those are very, very important scenarios that I've seen over and over again that gives rise to termination. Right. Okay, so before we move on to the next section, I'll just very quickly just uh, summarize, you know, the features you've told us or shared with us today. So um, you've mentioned the term of the contract must be specified or both yeah. parties must be clear on that. You've mentioned the territory, which of course refers to what, what yeah. geopolitical zone or what geographical zone does this contract cover? Um, you mentioned exclusivity, you know, which means that uh, either the label owns exclusive rights to this body of work created during this contract or you also talked about royalty splits yeah i think you mentioned uh, artist royalties and uh, the mechanical royalties as well um i remember you also mentioned uh, the advance as well meaning the advance yeah. payment an artist collects must also be stipulated yeah. in the contract uh you mentioned regarding uh, the release commitments which means you know once a body of work has been submitted to the label the label has a defined period of time to release that or yeah to release that work yeah, you spoke about ownership of the masters as well, which must be written in black and white. And also, should the label hold on to the masters, it should also be specified how long they can hold on to it for, whether in perpetuity yeah. or a limited period of time before it comes back to the, to the artists. Uh, yes. artists or the talent. And then we very also briefly talked about um, the accounting and auditing clause, which must yeah. be stated in black and white, which refers to the label saying this is how much we spent on you and this is how much we made on you so that kind of frequency of which that information is shared by timbo parties uh, yes we put yes. it on white as well and then finally we discussed about how there must be a termination clause meaning um, um how both parties disengage you know there should be clauses or that states should this happen i'm free to disengage for on both sides and um yeah I think yeah that, that yeah yeah perfect is, perfect is correct there's anything i missed all right, great. All right, so now based on what we've just said, just to put some of the things we, we've said into context, because you know a lot of people might be thinking, this is all, you guys are just throwing buzzwords around. We know we have different types of contracts, which essentially are still based on the elements or the features that we've just discussed, but they treat these, some of these features in different ways. So, because you know, I've done a bit of research on this, so I'll start with it. I'll list a couple of types and then you can right. break it down for us you know uh, so i think the first will be the standard or what is also known as the exclusive okay. recording contract yeah usually so, like um before the collapse of the music business traditionally it was just the label's business to get somebody come on the label and record music and the label would take the music that has been recorded to the marketplace to sell you know, but again, over the years, this type of relationship, it has gone through many, many mutations. 
So the standard record contract, the standard exclusive recording contract was just, let's get the music, let's get the artists, let's get the artists to record the music. When I say music, it means somebody else could have come up with the melody and the composition. We just need somebody to come and perform the music, record the music, then we need to sell the music, promote the music. Now it was a standard form. But like I said, it has changed. We still have some kind of contract that are still structured in this manner, but it's hardly the case that a label is just interested in you recording music. Because the sale, the monies that used to be generated from the sale of music has took a very big hit like a decade ago. And it's only just coming along with the era of streaming. So the perfect example of this standard contract would be the standard, you know, exactly, album, exactly, you know, a two-year deal to produce this amount of albums for us, and that's all. This and that's all. We're not interested in any other area of the career. Just sign you for these albums. Great. So, but you also mentioned there that um, the income from record sales has sort of dwindled over the years thanks to the internet. So I guess that's what's giving back to what we now exactly. call the 360 deal. Can you tell us what? The 360, 360 is, is, imagine a flat pie, the type that my mom bakes. Just a flat, round pie, juicy <laughs> yeah. pie, and the liver wants a piece of everything. Mm-hmm. So it's 360, and you slice it, this is the recording part of that. We want a piece of that, you slice the other quarter. This is the merchandise part of it. You slice the other pie. This is the touring aspect of it. Then you slice the other pie. This is the music yeah. publishing aspect of it. You slice the other pie. This is the endorsement part of it. Yeah. You slice the other pie. This is you getting into film or writing a book. I want a piece of everything. Basically, yeah. that's what the label is saying by mm. coming up with the 360 deal. So in what scenarios would the label come up with this? Because I'm assuming for it to exist. Yeah, yeah. it's a function of is, is how much risk are they shouldering. Mm. If they are shouldering a lot of risk, maybe uh, a very, very fresh artist, it only makes sense that they, you know, because they are shouldering a lot of risk, then they should get a lot of benefits. You know, as the money streaming, it takes care of all these uh, investments, initial investment they made. Because a fresh artist, no one is sure if the money's investor would bring back return. So let's just take a piece of everything. Yeah. As we develop this artist from ground zero to maybe a multi-platinum selling artist, we want a piece of everything for a number of years. Yeah. A guaranteed number of years. So after we're done with the 360, then maybe we can now allow for a renegotiation and and stuff like that. So I don't think they are being selfish. I think it's just a, it makes good business sense. If you are signing the likes of Rihanna when she was just, uh, hey, Mr. DJ, <laughs> <laughs> uh, huge. If you got our deal like 10 years ago, <laughs> they give us five albums, one a piece of everything. Now you've made her into a global superstar. She's going to be a billionaire in a number of years. Has all manner of yeah. business connected to wow, Jay Z to wow. Deal. So, but again, <laughs> the world is moving away from this yeah. because you know the message out there is talents have what it takes to bootstrap, to start on their own, to build their own audience, 
it takes it one step at a time. So, but again, I can tell you in Nigeria, if I'm on the side of the liberal, it's a 360, no matter how big. But if you're on the side of the artist, well, I wouldn't shy away from a 360, especially if the artist is not a B list artist or an A list artist. I'll take it. Just means that the percentage that yeah. the label will get. Reasonable. All right. So now, like you said, the world is moving away from this standard contracts, 360 deals. Over the last couple of years, we've seen an interesting trend where for a type of contract called the single record deal, which means the label is only contracting a talent for one single or one EP. Um, yeah. Can you tell us sometimes the big company, the label, is not very, very sure about the nature of the relationship about the success of going into business with you. So maybe to test the waters, uh, there'll be an agreement to say, okay, let's do a number of songs. Let's see what comes up with that. Let's do a project together. Let's see how it does. If we're able to meet a particular milestone, maybe that would be the ladder to negotiating a bigger contract. So single record deals, fine. It is not a rarity. It's a common it's becoming the thing now. I know Universal does that in different territories. When you see well with a particular song, yeah. you just sign you for maybe two, three songs yeah. or like a project. Yeah, let's see what the outcome would be. Now let's talk about the licensing and uh, distribution deals. I know there, there are two separate types of deals. Can you break down the two differences for us? Yeah, I think the licensing deal is getting permission to use... Uh, the delivered records, it could be in line with a number of conditions. Yeah. Licensing deal, okay, you are giving us a number of records, want to exclusively exploit it over a period Yeah. in particular territories outside of a territory where you want to exclusively de- define how you exploit it. Yeah. Like now, maybe an African artist is getting signed to like a label in America or in, in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, saying, okay, for these particular territories, we would be the ones to exploit these copyrights. Yeah. Remember, with licensing deals, ownership is not up for discussion. Ownership is not being transferred. Yeah. The silent remains the owner, yeah. but is giving authorization and permission to exploit to, to the company for them to exploit the work under defined conditions. Yeah. It's not a general use type of um, licensing or use. It is defined by conditions such as territories, such as periods. And um, also, after you've done this, you notify the talent and then the talent assumes all this right that is transferred to you before goes back. Yeah. Remember, it's only giving permission to use it under defined conditions for a number a certain period of years, time. For a certain period of time. When you're talking distribution, distribution is usually global in outlook. Yeah. Both of these relationships, you can get advance. On the licensing deal, you can get an advance. Even on a distribution deal, you can get an advance. I know Empire does this. They can give you an advance to distribute your album or your or your records. Yeah, I think so, a popular example for this would be uh, Mr. Easy. 
Um, yes. You know, yes. He, he has a couple of distribution deals with different labels. Different, in different, different. In the yes. Yeah. He's signed to three different labels, but they're all distribution deals where they are only responsible for distributing his um, content. Yes. So again, the thing is this: when you're doing distribution deals, there are some distributors who have more leverage than others. Yeah, there are um, the majors like um, Universal, Sony, Warner, yeah. also Cobalt Music. They have an infrastructure that helps them maximize the distribution. Yeah, and when they exploit the records that they distribute, they get a higher percentage from the platforms, from the likes of Apple, from the likes of Spotify. They get a higher percentage. So when the artist has this type of relationship, they are they will surely get a higher percentage on the earnings than if they distributed themselves. You understand me? Yeah. yeah. So yes. some of these distributors are able to place you on bigger platforms that would help amplify the attention that you need. Yeah. So th- those are just the differences between licensing and distribution. Thank you for breaking that out. Um, again, just to recap, we've spoken about the standard deal, which is also known as the um, exclusive recording contract. Uh, we spoke about the 360 deal where the label wants to have a piece of everything the artist or the talent earns. And then we also spoke about the single or EP record deal where the label is only coming into partnership with a talent for a limited body of work or maybe a single body of work. And then finally, we spoke about the licensing, distribution and uh, profit split deals. Now, finally, before we close out this episode, I want us to just sort of, sort of talk about two popular case studies or two case studies that are sort of made waves in the news. And uh, the first of those will be the case Daniel versus uh, G Worldwide uh, Entertainment Saga. I think this happened sometime between 2014, 15, if I'm not mistaken, 2016, around that time. Yeah. And, um, at the time, Kiss Daniel was fresh breakthrough artist who had one of the hottest songs and maybe album within that space number of years. And then the next thing we hear is Kiss Daniel wants to leave the label and there's this big drawn out legal saga that played out in the news. Now, which is still playing out, which is still playing out. out. Which is still playing out, exactly, you know. And uh, based on publicly available documents in the public domain, we've gotten some details on Chris Daniel's recording contract at the time. So I'm just going to put out some highlights on that contract and then you can just tell me your thoughts on it and, you know, maybe certain things that Chris Daniel could have sort of asked for and showed at the time of signing this contract or maybe certain things that could have been done on both sides to avoid or have a more managed or controlled situation. So at the time, we can see because Daniel had a uh, 360 deal where he was mandated to produce five albums in, in seven years. Interesting. <laughs> so that's, that's a high work rate yeah. for a new artist. Yeah. Because um, Daniel was entitled to only 30% of his income from live performances. This was later renegotiated in 2015 to 40%. And then he was entitled to 30% of non-performance income. And then in 2016, he had to renegotiate that increase to 40%. So meaning the label kept 60% of his performance income and then 60% of his non-performance income after renegotiation. And then he was also restricted from collaborating with other artists outside the label. So he was only restricted to collaborating with 
in-house artist from uh, G Worldwide. I think at the time I can't remember the name of the other artist on the label. Sugar Boy. Sugar Boy, yes. Yeah. There was one more. DJ Shabzi. DJ Shabzi. Those were the only two artists that Kizano collaborated with, with the exception of uh, Davido and uh, Tiwa Savage. Yes. When he did the mix, yeah. You know, after that, Kizano. When the chips fell apart or the cards fell apart, uh, Kizaniel filed an injunction stating that he wasn't given access to the accounting, the label's accounting, so he didn't know how much was really being earned or how much was really being invested in him. So he demanded that the label produce those details, which, you know, there was a lot of backtailing and that yeah. was never released. You yeah. know, And then eventually... We then hear a situation where the label then bans Kiss Daniel from using the Kiss Daniel name. Yeah. And then he had to sort of re-modify the name and start using Kiss with the double Z. Yeah, yeah. The double S. Kiss. So, you know, the case is still ongoing in court. So I guess we don't still have all the deals. We don't have the eventual conclusion. But what's your take on this? uh, Yeah, the the funny thing is at some point I represented Kiss Daniel. Uh, Oh, really? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) for, For a brief period, though. We're able to renegotiate at some point. It will shock you that when Kiss Daniel was already a superstar, was it's actually out there in public. He was earning a ridiculous weekly allowance. He was already a big star, but it was still kept on... On a paltry sum. On a paltry sum, and a monthly allowance, actually. I think less than 50K. Wow. Yeah, so the thing is, like many other artists... Many other fresh artists, when they are starting off, many of them don't even have the benefits of legal representation. And even when they get legal representation, they do not have an expert to represent them, an expert who understands the business. So you can tell that maybe the number of years should have been a red flag, a seven-year contract that I would never, I wouldn't allow a client of mine sign up for for seven years. They were like that. Yeah, that's a long time. Exactly. So that's that's yeah. the lifespan of some artists. Coming. Yeah, I think some artists. I think seven years is too much. I think five should be the most. And then yeah. you can then reserve the rights to um, extend the contract after five years. Again, because he had no leverage in this transaction, mm. in this negotiation, he probably just. He, I'm not sure. I even got a lawyer to look over the document. But ordinarily. Yeah. Um, 30% for a new artist is not a bad idea. That's what I think. If I'm on the side of the artist, I would agree to that, depending on the leverage yeah. that we have. But as a fresh artist, I think 30% is okay, except if you are really, really special. Yeah. If you are really, really exceptional, then I can then push for more than 30%. Other than that, I think 30% is a fair bargain. All this talk about... Um, I wanted to look at the books. Um, they didn't give me the opportunity to look at the books. I think it's a fair ground to terminate a relationship. If for yeah. a number of years, the contract has already stated clearly that I'm able to audit the accounts and then yeah. trying to exercise the rights that I have. And yeah. the label is not forthcoming with opening up their books. I think it's a good thing that I'm, you know, I'm just going to take take that opportunity to terminate a relationship so that I'm more in the driver's seat of how my career is run. Because yeah. this relationship has rules. 
and the two parties must live up to their obligations under those rules. I hope that um, the parties are able to resolve their differences with, even before a pronouncement by the courts. But if they are not, yeah. maybe this will set a precedent and um, other parties would follow this example eventually. But one thing I know for sure is this. Kiss Daniel is not in a bad place. He's a bigger artist. Obviously, he's earning money. He's earning more money. Yeah. Sadly, the label is not able to earn for now. I don't know what the order of court was, but Kiss Daniel is already building his career. Nobody can take that name from him anymore. Yeah, he's now set up his own label as well. Exactly. So those are my thoughts. I don't think the, the royalty splits were bad. 40%, 30%. It wasn't bad. Yeah. Although, at the time when I was in the matter, his Daniel was being paid an allowance that didn't make any sense. Which I think yeah. the label should have seen that whenever you build an artist and he's already a household name, try to do right by the artist. Yeah, and renegotiate all the work. You have, to, you have to give him what is commensurate to his status. You can't be like a B-list artist and you're already with Woju, as big as Woju was, yeah. and you're still collecting less than 100000 per month. I don't think it is justifiable on any ground. Yeah, it's ridiculous on any ground. It is, it is ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, thank you. Thank you for sharing that insight. All right, finally, and you know, very briefly before we move on, let's just talk about one that really shocked the internet waves, uh, I think at the start of this year, which was the Megan the Stallion, the American artist yeah. versus her label, or now a strange label, uh, 1501 Entertainment. Yeah. Facts coming out from publicly available records state that she also signed um, a 360 deal when she was 23, and she claims at the time that she was naive. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you addressed that in a second, but let me just quickly run through this. Oh. So she signed a 360 contract when she was 23, and she claims she was naive and young. The royalty split is 60-40 in favor of the label. And uh, 1501 Entertainment takes 50% of her publishing income. They take 30% of her touring income. And then they take 30% of her merchandising income. But they also still retain control of her merchandising rights. So meaning the label can issue merchandise on her behalf or in her name. But of course, they keep 30% of whatever that ends. And then finally, the label is also entitled to an unspecified amount or a spe- unspecified percentage of income from sponsorships and endorsement deals. Now, I think Megan the Stallion later signed to Jay-Z's Rock Nation uh, manager. Yeah. And maybe that's when she had to sort of review yeah. her contract and maybe look at certain facts. Yeah. And that's when this whole thing sort of blew up. To, you know, to be honest, yeah, I think the problem yeah. stems from the lack of transparency. She mentioned or it was reported that she got like a very, very paltry sum, even though she's been making a lot of money. Now, maybe she got like $12,000. I don't have the exact figure. But figure. one thing is sure, like we've mentioned earlier, she got into the contract or the relationship at a very young age. Not very young age, at 23. It's not, <laughs> not really young. 23 is an adult. 23 is not young. <laughs> but again, that 23 is an adult. Uh, the thing is, the excuse of being young and naive would not hold water. But what I think happened at that stage is, like any new fresh artist, they don't have leverage. And the people who come around to invest thousands upon thousands of dollars to build that foundational work of artist development, 
they have more leverage. And if they gave you a contract, clearly this is a 360 contract. And I don't think this contract is bad. I don't think it's bad. I think it's a typical 360 contract where the labor wants to have a piece of everything. And yeah. this is the type of contract that we have in Nigeria. So, yeah. except you're going in with like your audience, you've beat your audience, you're already good at songwriting, you're already good at being a performer, and we didn't have to grind with you for many years. How old is Megan Stalin now? Megan the Stalin. She's 25, okay. actually. So she signed her contract. Wow, years. that means she really popped early, man. She popped early. Yeah, so, she did. She, she popped almost as yeah, she yeah. signed that contract. But trust me, that first contract must have accelerated her development. Yeah. And perhaps if she didn't have the benefits of that contract, she wouldn't be the household name that she is today. I don't think a 60-40 split in favor of the label is ridiculous. I don't think it is unfair. I don't think it is unjust. And the jury is still out. There are many, many legal opinions in favor and against. Many people think the contract was fair. I, for one, I think it was fair. Because mind you, this is an independent mid company. It's an independent label. It doesn't have all the mighty... Yeah, it doesn't have the major label fund. So I think the sad reality is when some of these big talents, you know, when they get on a particular plane and they're so huge and they're getting all manner of people talking to them left, right, they start planting ideas and they want to forcefully renegotiate. This is what I think is the case. I don't think all this split is is unfair. I don't think it's unfair. Rather, I think... She turning around 360 to, you know, make these demands forcefully. I don't think there's any problem with her wanting to audit the accounts. There's no problem with that. Or trying to forcefully renegotiate is a problem. I think that's a problem because if we open that floodgate for people to be able to forcefully renegotiate, it will be a circle. People will just, the light of Drake will just wake up and I think on that note, it is a perfect place to sort of bring draw this episode to a close. Thanks for having me, bro. I'd like to say thank you again for joining us on this uh, podcast. Pleasure is mine. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you to our listeners for also listening to us. Um, you know, this has been quite a long podcast um, and we do hope you join us again for the next episode. We're available on all streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Deezer, wherever you listen to your podcast, we're right there. And um, yeah, subscribe, like. What's your social? Yes, sir. Uh, connect with me at Akiemi Law on Twitter, on Instagram, and Akiemi Anyolo on Facebook, LinkedIn. You know, I'm always available to chat, send me DMs if you need to. All right. Yeah. All right. And I am Mr. Schmooze, as always, Mr. underscore Schmooze. Um, it will be rich smooth but yeah thank you again smooth smooth we did try but thank you everybody for listening see you catch you all next thanks yeah bye bye